Hello there, friends. This is This Good Word, episode 140. My name's Steve Weens, and uh, today, uh, today the episode is called We Follow Where It Goes, and I want to give credit to where credit is due. The title is from a phrase I heard Rob Bell say, uh, gosh, many years ago maybe, and maybe he said it many times, but it's one of those things that has stuck with me. So I want to talk about that, uh, obviously taking my own direction with it, my own riffs on it. But that phrase is indeed from our dear friend Rob Bell. So uh, I want to do try to I want to try to do several different things in today's episode. Uh, number one, it's Holy Week, so I want to talk a little bit about resurrection, and I also want to talk about that thing that happens to almost all of us who've been on a faith journey for a really long time where we've tried to be honest with our questions and we end up losing our faith. And I want to explain why that's actually a good thing, not a bad thing. So hang in there. And then once I've explained both of those things a little more, I want to talk about the vital importance of following where it goes. So uh, this is going to be fun. I need to say on the front end, uh, by way of a couple of caveats, number one, there's some stuff happening in our house today, so you might hear some extra background noises. I'm not sure all what will go through. I'm hearing them. I don't know if you're going to hear them big time or not, but uh, they are there. They are loud. They are proud, and it's happening, so you may hear some of that. Number two, I am going to talk about the resurrection. I'm going to read actually an account of the resurrection. And so invitation number one is if you don't buy the resurrection, that is, if you don't buy that it really happened, if you don't, if it's really hard for you to get your mind around the fact that a human being, uh, number one, was a human being and also was God somehow, and number two, actually died and then actually rose from the from the dead. If you find that really, really hard to believe, uh, I just want to say hang in there. I think even if you don't believe that, there are still going to be some things that you see in this uh, that might be really, really helpful and really, really good. So I guess my invitation there is just hang on, hang on. And then the third caveat is on the other side of that, maybe don't buying the resurrection, there might be some of you who think that uh, you'd never say this, but inside you think, what could I possibly have to learn about the resurrection? <laughs> I've been maybe a Christian my whole life. I've heard a million Easter sermons. I believe it. I get it. I get what happened. I don't want to be flippant about it. But honestly, I can't believe that I would experience any new thing about it. I want to say, hang in there. I want to say, you just might. Uh, you just might. So those are the caveats. Those are the invitations. Here we go. I'm going to read um, about 13 verses from the Gospel of Mark. So the story of Jesus was written uh, down in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in four different gospels. And I find that fascinating because it was written down in four, from four different points of view, uh, from four different frames of reference. And uh, actually, there are quite a few differences that some people have tried to reconcile. Some people have tried to say, no, they really all do reconcile. They really all make sense. But really, uh, I, I, don't, I don't buy that, and I don't need to buy that to believe it. I actually think that for different perspectives, 
from the the something as important as the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, when we have some different uh, points of view, that even makes me believe it even more because that's the way it is. Like when I preach, um, uh, people come up to me and say, oh, you know, when you said this or when you said that, and many times I've, I never said that, I never did that, but they're, they're absolutely certain that I said this particular phrase. And really what happened is that's, in, in my opinion, what the Spirit wanted them to hear, what the Spirit invited them to hear uh, through the lens of their experience, through the lens of their interpretation of Scripture. And so that's how this whole message gets much more universal than we think it it does, because uh, we hear it and we hear it through the lens of our experiences, our traditions, and um and even through our reasoning and we make sense of it and it's not quite the same as the person next to us right so it makes complete sense that something as important as the life death and resurrection of jesus would have some different details that are written down from different people and so there's even differences in the resurrection accounts so uh i'm going to read from mark chapter 16 uh the, the the story of the resurrection of jesus so it says this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And even right there, you're like, wait a minute, Salome, <laughs> who is that? And why have I never heard her name? And why will I never hear her name again? And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they'd been staying, they'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance of the tomb. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. And they entered the tomb. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. P.S. In, I think, Luke it is, they come in and they see two men dressed in white. So is it one or is it two? Pretty important detail to not quite get on the same page about. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And all that had been commanded them, they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterward, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And then verse 9, Now after he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, like you do. She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. But when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. And after this, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Okay, <laughs> let's make some noticings. Let's make some observations. Number one, um, I love that it's women that are first on the scene. I just love it. I love that the Gospels record that. I love it because women in the first century were not believed. In a, in a court of law, they were not allowed to be witnesses because it was believed that their witness was, uh, was not even permissible. So the fact that, that the resurrection accounts in the Gospels all 
they do agree on this. They all say that women were the first ones there. And I just love that. The marginalized people are the ones from the very beginning that are going to be the first people to speak about this crazy, unheard of, never before seen miracle of the Son of God rising from the dead. So it's crazy. But what I also love about this is, you know, we read that they take spices, they're going to anoint Jesus's dead body. That's why they're going. And so they pack up the spices. It's early in the morning. They've they left their houses. Their husbands are sleeping. Their kids are sleeping. And they're as they're walking along toward the entrance to the tomb, all of a sudden it occurs to them. And I love this. They say, oh, by the way, how in the world are we going to roll back that stone? <laughs> it's pretty heavy. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love that. They just... Man, they are going to get to Jesus. They are. They have packed spices. They have packed thermoses of coffee, maybe some food, uh, and they're going to get to Jesus. And then, oh, by the way, there's this huge stone that's been sealed, and there's no possible way that we're going to be able to roll it back, but we're going anyway because something is going to happen. And I just love that. I love that. Like, what in your life do you need to hear right now that you just need to pack those spices, you need to pack that thermos of coffee, and you need to get on the road, even though there is this large stone that can't be rolled away by you standing in the way of what you want to do. Like, so just number one, that is beautiful. What is your big stone that seems impossible, that seems like the very thing that you're going for? You can't get to it unless a large stone gets rolled away, but you go anyway, right? Can I get an amen? I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. The second thing that I want to notice is that not one person, not the women, not Jesus' mother, not the disciples, no one believed that after he died, he would rise again. And in several different occasions, he would say, don't worry. When I go away, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll always be with you. Uh, after he cleansed the temple, he said, destroy this temple. I'll build it again in three days. He was re referring to his body. Uh, in, in some other instances, he's very opaque. In some ways, he's uh, somewhat clear for Jesus, although he was never all that clear, which is also something I love. But no one believed he was going to rise again. The dream was over. Um, this this big dream of a new Israel, a new Jerusalem, the overthrow of Rome, the the reclaiming of the kingship in Jerusalem of Jesus, the, the of of the line of David, that dream was over. It was done, and they did not believe it was going anywhere else. And so, for those of you who lack faith, for those of you who are like, man, um, I I just don't I don't believe. I think it's over. I think, I don't think God is going to do anything here. I just want you to say, you know, sometimes you hear preachers say things like, you just got to have more faith. And if you had more faith and this big thing would happen. And then, so you try to stir up all this fake faith because that's the way you're going to get the genie out of the bottle. Because really that's, that's the belief in, in God. You realize that, right? Um, so if you have stopped believing it, if you feel like it's all over, if you have lost your faith, if you have no faith, if you just can't believe it, just know you are in good company. Jesus, all of his disciples, 
the the mother of uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary, Mary Magdalene. None of them believed he was going to rise again. So you have that. Uh, third noticing is um, this probably missed you probably missed this because it was it went by so quickly. But the passage that I read started with these words. Now, when the Sabbath was over, so tradition holds that Jesus died on a Friday night. And then in Jewish tradition, you observe the Sabbath on a Saturday. That just time, from time immemorial, that's what you do. Ever since the Ten Commandments, ever since the Jewish people became a people led by God, uh, led by the Torah, led by the Ten Commandments, they have observed the Sabbath. I mean, th that is crazy. Every six days, they pause, they stop, and they observe the Sabbath. So here's, here's, there's, here's the noticing. In their grief, in their sorrow, when everything else was blown up, they allowed their tradition of observing the Sabbath to hold them when they had no idea what to do. And sometimes that's what you have to do, right? I mean, sometimes when the, when the worst happens and you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to pray, that's why the churches were filled and the synagogues were filled and the temples were filled and the mosques were filled uh, the day after 9-11 uh, all those years ago, because where do you go when, when something unspeakable happens? You allow your tradition to hold you and it's not going to answer all your questions. It's not going to make everything right. It's but it is something that holds you. And friends, I think um, in, in the world of fear right now, like my question to you is, what traditions are you allowing to hold you so that you can make it another week? And um, so, you know, is that your observance of the Sabbath? You go to the synagogue. Uh, are you a Muslim? Do you go to mosque on Friday night? Um, do you do your five prayers every day? Are you a Christian? And maybe you go to church on Sunday. Maybe, maybe try to Try to quit, and I want to speak to Christians mostly because I know your world because I am one. Maybe try to quit seeing going to church on Sunday as like, I'm going to go if I get something out of it, or I'm going to go if, if the preacher who I like is preaching, or I'm, I'm going to go if, um, if, you know, if we have time. Um, like, do it because you ne we need to say prayers and sing songs and be around people of our faith just in order to keep making it. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, and I'm not saying you have to do that. You certainly don't have to do that. But if that is in your tradition, if that's what you do, what I want to do is, is just, just try to tweak the understanding of why you go. It's not to get a super big jolt of energy, faith, spirit. You know, you might not get any of that. But as we take the Eucharist, as we say the prayers, as we hear the word of God being preached, as we sing songs with other people, as we see kids laughing and then crying, maybe as we hug an older person that's in a wheelchair, as we look at the teenager who's uh, got a mohawk and four earrings, as we uh, see that gay couple, as we, you know, just like whatever it is, whatever it is, as we see the person that we disagree with, as we see the person that we're in conflict with, as we are annoyed by the annoying things that annoying people do. We go because we're held by our tradition. This is where tradition can be good, right? So the followers of Jesus and his mother and Mary Magdalene, uh, 
they observed the Sabbath and they allowed that tradition to hold them when they had no idea what to do. Okay, uh, number four, fourth noticing is this. Uh, the angel, the person in white says, he has been raised, he is not here. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's been raised. He's not in this tomb. He's not in the place of the dead. He's not wearing his burial clothes anymore. He has left the place of death. In another gospel, it says, don't keep looking for the living among the dead. So this is a message to some of us. And it might even go in direct opposition to what I just said about letting your tradition hold you. But if you have tried your hardest to find God, faith, life, spirit, energy, joy, patience, fruit of the spirit in the tradition that you keep trying so hard to be in, but it just isn't working anymore. There's just not life there. It feels like you, uh, it feels like death to you. And again, you've, you've had the conversations you've, you've tried, you've, you've kept showing up, but honestly, it feels like a tomb to you and you keep getting disappointed because it's not, it's not bring, it's not, there's no life there. Maybe you need to hear, don't keep looking for the living among the dead. Maybe it really is time to leave. You know, it's okay to leave uh, a church. It's okay to leave um, a bad small group or bad relationship where there's just over and over again, there's death. You keep having the same conversation. You keep having the same conflict. You've prayed. You've tried to reconcile uh, you've tried to make it work and it's just not working. You need to hear uh, the, the person in white saying this, hey, don't keep looking for the living among the dead. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a balance between the letting your tradition hold you and not expecting, you know, fireworks to happen on the one side. And on the other side, this thing of like, if it consistently is death, and there is no life there, then, and that is true over time, then you might need to hear this angel say to you, don't keep looking for the living among the dead. Okay, next noticing is this, uh, this and this is really fascinating. If you read in, in any New Testament, if you read this story in Mark chapter 16, you get to the end of verse 8, and there's usually a little asterisk. In the Bible that I'm reading right now, it, it has a space, and then it has a new heading that says the longer ending of Mark. And this is what's true. All right. So the original manuscript of Mark ends at verse 8. So all they had up until about the 4th century the end of Mark's gospel, and this is the first gospel that was written, ends with this verse. Okay, so Jesus has risen. Uh, no one believes it. Um, so they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Period. End of the gospel. <laughs> if that was a movie, you would be like, and then the credits rolled after that, you'd be like, wait, wait, what? What? Oh, hold on. I mean, you wouldn't even move from your seat. 
and you would wait till all the credits get done and then that weird little thing comes up the 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 watermark watermark i can't think of the 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 logo for the you know 20th century fox or whatever it is and then you'd sit there and then you'd look at the person that you went to the movie with and you you, you would say no no they were terrified and they didn't say anything to anyone for they were afraid that's the end of the gospel no so that's fascinating right and so and then they must have found some different you know different pieces of the manuscript it's really 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 and it's really interesting and there's there's debate over if that's really if that really was the intent of mark or if the longer ending got ripped off somehow um so uh who knows who knows most likely this conclusion was added to mark by other people after the other gospels had been written because again people have you know you have more than one angle more than one point of view when it comes to the life death and resurrection of jesus you got luke you got matthew you got john so um so and then they based on those other things they added this addendum uh and that is after he rose early on the first day of the week he that is jesus appeared first to mary magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons she went out and told those who had been with him while they were still mourning and weeping but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her they would not believe it after he appeared in another form to them they were walking into the country and they went back and told the rest but they didn't believe it so remember when i read those verses so there, there is this other ending but i think it's fascinating i think it's really fascinating that the original ending ends in mystery it ends in like well what's gonna happen next and what will these women do and what will the disciples do right i mean it's just it's so f and i keep saying women and the disciples as if they're different they're really not the women were disciples they may not be named among the 12 but the women that i'm talking about mary magdalene mary the mother of jesus salome others they were disciples of jesus just so we're all clear uh okay uh, last noticing, I just want to repeat, is that even after Jesus was raised and um, not only did they not believe it was going to happen, they didn't believe it happened when it already did happen, right? I mean, uh, oftentimes we talk about doubting Thomas and, you know, the disciple who didn't believe it. Even when Jesus showed up, he said, Master, let me touch your feet and see the holes. Let me touch your hands and see the holes. And then Jesus showed him his hands, showed him his feet, showed, showed him his feet. And there were holes there from the nails. And that's when he believed. And, you know, sometimes we say, oh, I can't believe he didn't believe that. Like, what a loser. Listen, gang, no one believed it. No one believed it because it really was that radical. And I think that's what I would say to those of us who have believed in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection for our whole lives sometimes it's really hard to 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 like actually press pause and say what is it that i'm really believing i mean i'm i'm actually believing that a person was born lived a sinless life was both fully human fully god was executed and buried in a tomb descended into hell and then rose again like that that is pretty hard to believe folks and you can read all the books that say it's historically accurate and for these reasons. And I think those books are helpful. I think depending on your, on your personality, they're really, they might be game changers for you. 
But the truth is that there, there, there's just no ironclad, uh, that there is zero ironclad uh, something that every single person on planet Earth can look at and say, yep, absolutely, Jesus bodily rose from the dead. It is a matter of faith. It's, it's a matter of do you believe in the mystery, even if you're afraid, even if you run, even if you go up and down in your faith. So um, that is the story. That is the story of the resurrection. Now I want to get to the losing your faith part and how it might be a good thing. So I was a psychology major, and I remember learning about Lawrence Kohlberg and his stages of ethical development. And he 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 essentially outlined six broad stages of development in a person's lifetime, but he categorized them into three broad categories, pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional. And it's largely agreed that not only do individuals go through these um these three stages of moral and ethical development, but so do so do the consciousness of cultures. They they move through over time these three things, and so this is what they are super quickly. So kids are in the pre-conventional stage. That's when obedience uh, is a big deal. That's when kids learn the word no. Your two-year-old. That's when punishment, reward and punishment is a big deal. That's when the whole thing of what's in it for me happens, right? That, that's why you can't really, like you can't teach a two-year-old to be magnanimous and to have lots of empathy. They're really wondering how many pieces of cake they're going to get. <laughs> that's what they care about. And they care about obeying their parents. And, and that's, that's the deal. That's how they see the world. They see the world very individualistically. Uh, the whole world is what they need to do to get what they want and what they need to do to get to avoid punishment. I mean, that's really, that's really what the pre-conventional stage is. And then when you move into adolescence and into adulthood, you move into the conventional stage. And that's when you really see society as the most important thing. And you see you have to obey laws so society can function. You accept society's views. And when I say society, plug in the word church, plug in the word political party, plug in the word parents, authority. Generally, you you follow along because you believe that even if you don't totally understand why the laws are the way they are or why the rules are the way they are, um, you don't want to stick out and you don't like people who stick out. You don't like people who are waving the flag for justice. You don't like people who are bucking the uh, traditional order because that, that raises fear in you. Um, and this is not a good or bad stage. This is just the stage that all of us pass through. So if you think you're, you've, you've never been in the, in the conventional stage, you're just, you're just lying to, your, <laughs> to yourself. And the conventional stage is a good stage, just like the pre-conventional stage is a good stage. We need each of these stages in order to, de to develop to the next one. So it's, so it's not about some people are born in the post-conventional stage and some people, you know, all, just maybe some people are born in the conventional stage. All of us are born in the pre-conventional stage. Uh, almost all of us move to the conventional stage where it's all about accepting society's views. Or, and, and this is groupthink. This is groupthink is where safety lies. We have to continue to promote the tradition, to promote the groupthink so that 
society will continue to function, even if we don't totally understand it, we don't totally get it, and we don't totally agree with it. We just do it because that's what's important. And then the post-conventional uh, stage, not everyone gets to. Not everyone gets to. But this is where you understand the laws and the rules, and you understand the importance of the laws and the rules, but you might break them if they seem to be unjust, if they seem to, um, to be harming another human being, if they uh, contradict a personal value or principle that you hold, you will consider breaking that law. Post-conventional people are the, now, and, and these aren't the, you know, like, don't think crazy protesters here and not all protesters are crazy. Some of them are the most beautiful people in the world. But post-conventional protesters protest with wisdom, protest with patience, protest with, with a sense of I'm doing this at great personal cost so that a group of people who are getting marginalized and oppressed so that that system might change. I'm protesting the convention. I'm protesting the conventional system. So uh, in, in the time of Jesus, right, or as you look at the Bible, and this is where, um, so I just got to ask this question. So here you go. Here's the answer to your question, uh, someone. I won't name you. Um, but they were having a conversation with someone else who couldn't buy Christianity because in the Bible, the Bible condones slavery, right? And so what do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that you can read a Bible verse that seems to condone slavery? Well, here's there's a number of options with that. Number one, you can say, well, if the Bible condones slavery, I can't possibly believe in the Bible. So therefore, I'm going to reject God. I'm going to reject reject Christianity. That's a fair response. That's a fair response. But but what I would say to that is you are judging a pre-conventional society through the lenses of post-conventional wisdom, and that's not a fair thing to do. So when you read in the Old Testament about certain laws and about slavery, it's just so hard to understand why that might have been a healthy thing. And I don't claim to get it either. I don't think this is a completely satisfying answer. Um, but in in pre-conventional times, uh, the, the understanding of human consciousness was was in a pre-conventional understanding. And so people, as they as they understood God, they it was about obedience. It was about avoiding punishment. It was about trying to get the rewards. That's why certain sacrifices were made so that to different gods, so that you know the crops would be good this year. You're trying to avoid punishment, which is which would be seen as bad weather, which would wipe out the crops, which wasn't just seen as bad luck. It was seen as punishment from the gods. Having said all of that, there's a fascinating thing. If you talk about the Bible condoning slavery, and in parts it does, and you can't get around that, the broader, the, the broader story of, of the Bible is that the people of God are themselves slaves, right? That's the story of the scriptures. It's not primarily that God condones slavery. It's that the people of God who were enslaved cried out, God saw them, and God rescued them from slavery. And then when they came into power, God specifically told them, remember, I'm the God who delivered you from Egypt. Don't enslave people. That's specifically what was said. Now, they ignored that. Solomon, when he built his huge temple, he did that 
through slavery. And that is awful. That is brutal. That's bad. But you can't assume when God says, don't enslave people, and then people of God do, you can't assume that then that's God saying, well, I guess it's okay. That's just another example of the people of God not following God's laws and plans. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, he grows up in Galilee, which is where people of mixed ethnic uh, and religious um, birth and status lived. They were seen as hicks. They were seen as half-breeds. They were not respected. And so Jesus was born a marginalized person among um, uh, an oppressed people group, that is the, the Jewish people who were being oppressed by the, the Roman Empire. And they were also being oppressed by the religious system, which was in bed with the Roman Empire. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the cross as an oppressed, marginalized, disrespected person, essentially a slave. And so when, when God becomes Jesus, when God decides to incarnate as a human being, God decides to do so in a particular place and time as a marginalized, oppressed Jewish person that's going to end up being killed in order to say, if you are enslaved, if you are oppressed, if you are marginalized, I am on your side. Right? So yes, you can say in one verse here or one verse there, it seems to say that the Bible condones slavery, but that would be nitpicking one or two tiny little verses instead of seeing the entire the entire story of the scriptures is about freedom from slavery. And that's how you have to read the Bible. And um, that's just what I, what, I would, what, I, what I would encourage you to do. So, um, but, the, but, the, but a pre-conventional understanding helps you read some of those really hard passages, even in the Old Testament. Like, like you have to say, I mean, I'd agree with that. I mean, I like that. But I'm reading a pre-conventional society that's all about obedience, reward and punishment, what's in it for me. When we move to the conventional stage, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, the temple system, kings, prophets, the Messiah is coming to set up the throne again in Jerusalem. Uh, there's sacrifices. This is the conventional system that Jesus actually was born into and he subverted. So the post-conventional understanding is the person of Jesus. When he says things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, when there's a woman caught in adultery and the law, the pre-conventional law says in uh, Deuteronomy to stone her, Jesus says, uh, okay, the first person that's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. That's a post-conventional understanding of the work and, and law of the Old Testament. Do you see where, like, he doesn't necessarily say it's obliterated, but he also literally breaks the law. He, he breaks that law. He doesn't say, all right, well, you know, the law says you got to be stoned. So sorry, lady. He, he, he subverts it by saying a post-conventional understanding is to say that, um, uh, we're all, we're all trapped in sin and we all should be stoned. It's just it's fascinating, right? When he breaks the Sabbath and he says Sabbath is made for, made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. 
Like that's another post-conventional teaching. Uh, when he overturns the temple, he's doing that because the system of the time, uh, the conventional system of, of the time is really oppressing people. And so he overturns the table, the tables, and he uh, confronts the temple system. So that is what Jesus does. And it is, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I think if you don't understand, that's what Jesus is doing. And that's the stage of consciousness that Jesus is trying to pull people into. Then you just will never understand the work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He's coming from a post conventional standpoint. And that's how you have to read him. Uh, many of us are still trying to read the Bible, Jesus through pre-conventional or conventional eyes. And when we do that, we either ignore most of what he says, or we don't believe most of what he says, or we are completely shocked by it. And we can't, like we, we, we don't believe he's such a subversive rebel. <laughs> That's really, really what it is. Uh, okay, folks, before we go to the final part of it, which is really, and see, I knew, I told you I was going to try to get to a lot of things, but uh, before we get to follow where it goes, we are going to take a short break. Hey, friends, we'll get right back to the podcast in a minute, but I wanted to take some time to thank you for listening. I also wanted to point you to where you can find my other work. If you go to steveweens.com, my website, you can find links to buy my books, to read my blog. And also, if you want to, you can invite me to speak to your tribe. When my schedule allows, I love to travel and do that. Lastly, you can check out patreon.com slash thisgoodword and consider becoming a supporter of This Good Word. Uh, for as little as $2 a month, you can get access to content that I only publish on Patreon. Right now, I'm going through a series on Lent. So if you subscribe now, you can get access to a weekly blog dedicated to helping you reflect and enter into Lent a little more fully. Hey, if you enjoy This Good Word, please head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. It's a really good way to help me spread the message of This Good Word. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the podcast. Okay, friends, we are back. Man, we've covered a lot of ground. We have a little more ground to cover. So we've looked at the resurrection story. We have looked at uh, if it feels like you're losing your faith, that may be a good thing because actually you may just have moved on to the next level of human development, which is post-conventional, where you start to ask questions like, wait a minute, does this law really, is it oppressing people? Is the system that I'm involved with, that I maybe previously haven't asked good questions of, is that in some way oppressing people? And if it is, then I need to confront it. And I can only confront it well when I understand it really well. That's why the prophets in the time of Jesus were so good, because they really understood the system that they were critiquing. Every convention, every system, every church, every denomination, every everything that makes it past the startup phase and then becomes itself a tradition, an institution of any kind, needs to be critiqued from within in order for it to keep growing. 
So if you're part of a thing that's getting critiqued and you're the leader, congratulations. That's the only way you're going to keep moving along the lines of human consciousness. That's the only way you're going to keep growing is by getting healthy, good, but really incisive critique. So <clears throat> what does it mean to follow where it goes? So just like the women who, you know, they, they packed up the spices, they packed up the thermos of coffee, and they sat out on the road uh, to go anoint the body of Jesus. Uh, and then they said, oh my goodness, how in the world are we going to roll away that stone? Uh, they were just following where it went. So they all they knew was they loved this guy, Jesus, and he was dead. So they were going to anoint his body. That's that's the only thing that they 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 knew to do. And then when they got there, the stone was rolled away. Oh my gosh, how did this happen? And then they ran into this guy that said, "Hey, Jesus isn't here. He has been raised." And then they were terrified, but they had to go back and tell the other disciples, and none of them believed him. But all they knew what to do at that point is go the next step is to keep following where that went. They knew they believed in this guy named Jesus. They knew that they loved him. They knew that he had said some things that now were maybe coming true. They hadn't seen him yet, but they were gonna keep following where it went. It didn't make any sense and no one believed them, but they just kept going. And friends, I wanna say, that that is the work of following Jesus. It's not about primarily going back to the roots of the first century and understanding what was really said back then, or even understanding doctrine and theology as important as those things are. It's asking the question, where is the gospel and where is Jesus, where is Jesus currently going? What are you seeing that's alive now? What are you hearing that has life now? What are you tasting that is fresh now? Where is it going now? And how is it that you're going to keep following where it's going? Right? Uh, what is that like for you to stop seeking the lot the life among the dead? Right? What it what would it mean for you to say, I just I can't unsee what I've already seen? and I'm getting a taste of something that really feels like life here, and that will always be accompanied by fear. Gang, it will always be accompanied by fear. It's never just completely exciting and free when you walk into a new level of understanding about God or yourself or human consciousness or faith or any of that. It's, there, there's always a level of like joy mixed with fear because you're going to a place you've never been before. And that's like, in order to keep growing in your faith, you have to keep going to places you've never been before. If you're just, if you're just revisiting the same old, same old, then you're actually not following the God that says, my name is I will be, that I will be. You're not following the risen Christ. Uh, you are following a person that's been written about in a pages in a book. And the invitation is to keep following where the risen Christ keeps going. The gospel's going somewhere, and it is our invitation to follow it where it goes. Uh, so uh, if you have moved into more of a post-conventional frame of mind where you are offering some critique, 
where you are seeing the holes, where you are seeing the the laws, the rules that are oppressing people and, and other people maybe aren't seeing it. I want to say to you, quit being shocked when people are that are in the conventional stage uh, don't see what you're seeing and even treat you like you're trying to break the beautiful thing that they love. Like quit being shocked by that. That is what will always happen. It's what happened to Jesus. It's what's probably happening to you. It's what will continue to happen to you. And it's not fun. And it doesn't mean you're right about everything. And it doesn't mean you can you can say I'm holier than you because I've reached this post-conventional stage. It simply means that you have to you have to love people in the pre-conventional and conventional stage much, much, much more than uh, you used to. You have to treat with grace, with mercy, with directness, with kindness, with truth. Um, but the the typical thing when it comes to human consciousness is we fear the stage above us and we treat the stage uh, that we've just gone through with disdain. Does that make sense? So like we look back on the stage that we just left and we go, oh, I can't believe those idiots still think that way. But then we look forward into the stage that we haven't reached yet and we look forward in fear. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they think that. I mean, that's totally wrong. That's crazy. That's that's ridiculous. That's dangerous. Does that make sense? So just be aware of that, of that reality as you move through different levels of from pre-conventional to conventional to post-conventional. So the last thing I want to say is I really hope that uh, this has been helpful. This has been a lot. This is one that you might want to go back and listen to again. There's a lot here. There's a lot of juice here, a lot of stuff here. You don't have to agree with all of it. Uh, I hope you don't agree with all of it. How boring would that be? But last thing I want to say is um, as you are following where it goes and as you are, are afraid and as you are excited, here's the thing. There's nothing to fear here. Nothing to fear. A couple questions you might want to ask yourself. What is it that grounds you as you're moving toward this thing? For me, for me, it's, this is my personal belief. This is what grounds me. It's the person of Jesus. I believe God is Christ-like. And so everything that I believe about God is what I see in, in Jesus. And that grounds me. I don't have to have all my theological ducks in a row. I don't have to have all my questions figured out. But the person and work of Jesus, what he did and said, including his death and resurrection, that's what grounds me. You have to decide what is it that grounds you. Uh, and then what is it that helps you keep going as you follow where it goes? Is it a group of friends? Is it a certain teacher? Uh, that really inspires you? Is it a certain book? Is it a practice that you do, some meditation? Is it reading the New Testament? Is it, um, you know, making sure you're taking walks in the woods and how you have time to think? Is it your journaling practice? What is going to help you keep going? And then lastly, uh, just, just a noticing, your views about God, life, yourself, humanity, they should grow and change. Like you actually should look back 10 years ago and go and laugh and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I used to think that way. That's so nuts. Like, oh my God, and be a little embarrassed. 
but then you shouldn't be embarrassed because we all grow and change. We all move through levels of faith. Faith is dynamic, not static. It's not a one-time deal. You don't you don't decide to put your faith in something and then never revisit that again. It grows, it ebbs, it flows, it changes, you change. Uh, so uh, just just know that like if you as you go through different levels of understanding about yourself, God, humanity, the earth, you will go through periods of disruption, periods of change, periods where your joy about something new is also mixed with fear and it all belongs and it all matters and it's all normal and there's nothing to fear. My throat is sore. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought maybe this was going to last longer than a normal one, and it did. Um, but my friends, uh, happy Easter. Uh, I'm so grateful for those of you who listen and those of you who get in touch with me and tell me parts of your story, which are really so many about... Uh, about birth, death, and resurrection. That's the cycle. You get born into something pre-convention, you live convention, and then you die, and then you are, you rise again, and that's post-conventional, right? So that is the resurrection cycle. So my friends, we are dust and breath, we are human and holy, we are limited and limitless, and we are in it together. <laughs>